0: Hello everybody. Uh, thank you for listening. Welcome to The New Deal. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the pandemic, of course. We're going to be talking about these lockdown situations, the relaxing of regulations, the different controversies surrounding that, uh, and, ma- and many other things. It's, it's a pretty, you know, wide spanning topic. Uh, anyone who's been watching the news recently knows this. So I don't want to waste too much time before we jump into everything, just because, as I said, there is so much to cover. However, I do want to address first that uh, nobody should forget that Joe Biden, on uh, Char- with Charlemagne the God being interviewed um, on, a- on a radio show, said that if you don't know whether or not you're going to support him, support Donald Trump, or support anybody else, that, quote, you ain't black. And uh, I just want to point out that this is one of the most divisive, uh, this is one of the most hateful, the most polarizing, uh, and the most really ignorant things that any politician has said in the modern era in this country. And uh, I just want to put that out there um, to know that you know this is a repulsive thing to have anybody say. Um, of course, Donald Trump is not known for uh, rhetoric that is uh, you know unifying and unites people. But he has never said anything to the degree that if you don't support me or if you support one of my opponents, uh, you are not legitimately a black person. And I think that's a ridiculous thing that Joe Biden said, and we should all make sure that we remember that. And we don't let it get tuned out by a lot of the news things that's going on, because it is an alarming and frightening thing to have a leading presidential candidate make such a claim. Uh, But anyway, enough about that. Uh, Even though it is a terrible thing, we could talk more about that in the future, perhaps. Uh, But what I did want to talk about is this pandemic, the lockdowns and and everything that's been happening, because so much has been happening. And again, if you have watched the news, you've seen every day different talking heads on here, different people. uh, Everyone thinks they're an expert in their own right, uh, all making different claims about this, what we need to do, what we should do, etc. I'm not going to go out here and say that I'm an expert. I don't know what the right solution is. And Before we really get into it, I just want to say, uh, of course, as always, uh, my heart goes out to people who have been affected by this, um, whether you or your loved ones have been sick, have been in the hospital, uh, people who have lost their lives. Uh, death is always a terrible thing. It always affects people. Um, it's never a good thing to lose a loved one, and it's always a loss um, that that really can never be returned in, in many ways. So. I just want to say that, you know, I'm with you if, if this has been happening, if this is something you've experienced. Uh, also, at the same time, if your business has lost a tremendous amount of money, if you've lost your job, if you're unemployed, uh, if you don't know how you're going to make rent, if you don't know how you're going to pay for food, your children's education, uh, my heart goes out to you as well. And this is really the, the dichotomy that I want to start with. I, I talked a while ago about the false dichotomy that's coming up, you know, the economy, uh, the pandemic, health everything's changing, all the information's changing, people try to say it's an either-or option. And Norm MacDonald, who's my favorite comedian, I've talked about him on this show before, uh, he has a quote, and it's a serious quote, it's not one of his comedy bits, but he says that your heart can break for two people at the same time. And I think that's such a true statement because you don't need to choose between the economy, between health. Uh, it's not a dichotomy that needs to exist. That's just what the media has created because it's uh, sensational. It gets clicks. Politicians, too, they can get morality points for making claims any which way. But that doesn't need to be true. You can, you can feel bad. Your heart can go out to people who have lost their jobs, who have lost their livelihoods. And yet you can also have your heart go out to people that have lost their lives and have lost loved ones or, or have just been battling a sickness even if they're better now. So these are two things that can be true. Um, I certainly, you know, my heart goes out to, to all of the above, and I feel like most people's do as well. And we don't need to get caught up in the false dichotomy of, of it all. So that's what I wanted to say before we really get into it. So what we're going to talk about today here is uh, four things about this pandemic, about what's been going on, all the news, everything that we've been hearing, all these openings, all these lockdowns, et cetera. Um, number one is what is the problem that we're facing? Number two, what is the solution, or rather, what should be the solution? Number three, what is not the solution? What are some bad things that we've been seeing and and what are ways to get around that and and avoid those devastating consequences? And uh, lastly is where do we go from here? So we're going to go into these uh, four categories. Chronologically, just go through it uh, and, and I will begin. So the first question is, what is the problem that we're facing? Of course, it's a virus, it's a pandemic, it originated in China. No one knows exactly if it was at the market from bats and pangolin meter or whatever they were saying. Or if it was in the labs, you know, maybe it was a a bioweapon. There's there's really no way to prove that. Um, But at the very least, there was some negligence that the Chinese government was involved with, some sort of cover-up, and this virus that should have just been a regional thing that should have been dealt with from the very beginning uh, ended up spreading around the world and affecting everybody. Um, Not even the people that have been sick, but everyone that's faced some sort of economic loss because of this, or uh, even just socially being locked at home. All of those sorts of things. So, of course, that's the biggest problem we're facing is this virus. But I would say another problem that we're facing, and uh, you could argue that it's even bigger than the virus itself, is fear. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And uh, for some reason, the media, the Democratic Party, some Republicans, um, you know, some just people all around the world have completely ignored this advice, uh, especially, you know, for Democrats, at least from somebody that they respect so much and admire as, as FDR, it's interesting that they would completely ignore that advice. But people are relying on fear right now. And there is so much fear going around and the fear is on all sides. And people are trying to fearmonger and keep people afraid because they know it gets them revenue, it gets them clicks, it gets them sensational attention. And for the politicians that have figured out how to best use this pandemic and use the talking points and use the fear to their advantage, it gets them these uh, so-called morality points. You know, oh, this is a good person. They're looking out for us. Uh, You look at uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York, the governor, his uh, approval rating is going sky high because they've been able to take this narrative and present themselves as the savior of the country and the savior of everybody's lives. But the media sensationalism and the media's reliance on fear to get clicks and to get those revenues, uh, it's really disgusting. And you don't need to look very far to figure out what's going on with this. CNN uh, generated some controversy. This was, you know, I think a month ago, two months ago, maybe. But really, when these things were were beginning, they realized that they could get the narrative of, oh, we're all going to die. This is a terrible thing. Everyone needs to stay home. Make sure you're watching CNN to know what you need to do to not die, all these sorts of things. And what the controversy was is that they had up on the screen total number of cases around the world, which was, I think at the time, 2 million or something like that, and then total number of deaths. Uh, around the world and in the United States, I think it was 40,000, it it was somewhere, it was five figures, it it certainly wasn't in the millions, it wasn't in the hundreds of thousands. But the headline on the screen, and it may have just been an honest mistake from somebody that was working the, the teleprompter or the graphics, you know, we have no way to prove that. The headline on the screen was millions of coronavirus deaths around the world, but then if you looked at the actual numbers that were on the graphic, you realized it was millions of cases, but only uh, you know tens of thousands of deaths, and as I said before, of course, deaths are always unfortunate, and it's something that you know we should be sad about, and we should work to mitigate deaths as much as possible, but it seemed that they were deliberately trying to make it seem that everyone was dying from this so that they would get the sensational media coverage. But... We could still give them the benefit of the doubt and say that was just an honest mistake and they didn't actually mean to fearmonger to that extent. However, we have so many other examples showing this in practice. The whole saga with Chris Cuomo, when he got sick, saying, you know, what was it that he said? He had uh, disturbing phantasmological dreams and all these sorts of things. And he was locked in his basement and he was sickly and he was going on with his brother and talking about how, you know, grandma was going to die and all these things. and, And he was in, you know, the basement and. (laughs) Thank you. The <laughs> cat battling the illness, uh, they very much tried to monetize that for coverage. And uh, we see that because when Chris, Chris Cuomo uh, was was cured, or rather when he, um, you know, there's no cure, but rather when he overcame the virus and got better, he had this whole official thing where he was going to come out of the basement, he was going to emerge and go back into the real world with his family. And it was this beautiful moment where he overcame the virus and all these sorts of things. But what had come out after that is that Chris Cuomo had not been in his basement for the 14 days that it took for him to get over the virus, but rather he was out on a bike ride. He went to a friend's house for Easter to have dinner there. Uh, the bike ride uh, episode was particularly interesting because he actually got into a very public fight with another cyclist because somebody said, wait a minute, aren't you Chris Cuomo from the TV? Aren't you in your basement because you have coronavirus? And apparently Cuomo was, was yelling at the guy back and cursing him out and telling him he didn't know what he was talking about. And then a few days later, he tries to do his official you know, emergence from the basement. So these are all sensational things and it's almost dramatized. Uh, the celebrities, you see this too, you know, hashtag stay at home or those uh, Facebook uh, filters that people are putting up, stay the F home, um, you know, with the expletive there. All this sensational thing saying, oh, look how good we are. Look how virtuous we are. We care so much about people. We're going to stay home. And of course these celebrities can do it. They have, you know, personal chefs and all the money in the world that they don't need to worry about going to work. Um, but, but that's what we see. And, and people using that to their advantage and using that to keep people afraid and to have this narrative where that's what's going on so that they get attention for it. The, the last example of this, and, and honestly the most d- disappointing for me, is the Drudge Report, which, again, always relies on people clicking it and getting visits and things like that. But Drudge has really, I mean, even to this day, uh, always highlighted the worst news about it, even some discredited things about, you know, deaths going up in places like Georgia and Florida, Uh, the dangers, you know, using a lot of headlines to shame people that were going to the beach. And I guess, you know, Matt Drudge, there are people out there that actually saying that he may have sold the Drudge report. Um, I I have no way to prove this. I think these um, were all classified files with NDAs and whatnot that will be open in the future. So I suppose we'll find out then. But assuming that it still is Matt Drudge, uh, he clearly has made the calculation that he gets more clicks, more ad revenue, from people being afraid, from people wanting to go look at the bad news, and not having the you know hopeful news um, about how we can open things up and do it safely, and how things are actually much better than they seem to be. Um, I now have been using Bongino Report, actually, because of the news that it highlights. It's um, been more honest. They covered the Obamagate, uh, you know, as it's colloquial known, but the whole f- uh, scandal with Michael Flynn in ways that drudged in it because he was so focused on the negative data uh, about the coronavirus. So, so these are little things that when they all add up, you see this big picture of the media is really trying to weaponize this crisis to get clicks, to get um, revenue, to get people to, to give them attention, and they want to maximize fear so that's one of the things about how fear is our biggest problem and i wouldn't be saying that this is a problem with fear if the things that they were saying were true but we know from data from scientific reports that have come out from just the way that we've watched everything develop that so much of this fear-mongering is completely unfounded of course the pandemic's always bad um you know i could say that as many times as i please and people will still accuse me of minimizing it But um, make no mistake, the pandemic is not good and we got to minimize the uh, exposure of the virus to vulnerable populations. But when it comes to the things that the fear mongering and that they're telling us in these headlines, uh, a lot of it is not true. So there are a few myths th- that we have to address when we're talking about this problem of fear. The main one is that everyone has to wear a mask. Uh, if you're not wearing a mask in public, you're killing people, you're spreading the virus, you're being irresponsible, you're being selfish, everything that the media and these politicians have been saying to try to spread fear, but. The science on whether or not a mask, uh, wearing a mask, is a good idea, is changing. It, it was changing from the beginning, and it's changing now. I don't know if you all remember, but I certainly do. Back in March, when uh, all of this stuff was really hitting the headlines, and it was becoming it's biggest uh, issue, a lot of people were saying you shouldn't be wearing a mask, that a mask can actually make it worse because it's keeping the particles uh, within you know, it, within the mask and, and you could get yourself sick and it's not helping your immune system and all these sorts of things. Um, then they said the mask should only be for healthcare workers, for people that are directly exposed to this. Uh, we need to save the mask for them. But then all of a sudden they came out and said, no, everyone needs to wear a mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, you're, you know, you're being selfish, you're being stupid. So this is something that keeps changing. And if you look at the science behind wearing a mask, it actually makes sense why this has been remarkably inconsistent. Uh, the cloth masks that the CDCs are, are recommending that people wear, uh, again, the N95 masks are a different thing, but those are reserved for healthcare workers. But the cloth masks, even the basic surgical masks, uh, those, those blue ones, Um, I don't even know what material they're made out of. All of these simple masks that people are being shamed for not wearing in public, they don't actually stop you from getting the virus. Um, If you don't have it and you're wearing the mask and the virus is in the air, there's still a chance that someone can get it because these are virus particles. They're very small. Uh, And if anyone has worn one of these masks, you can still smell things. You know, you can still feel a breeze to some degree so you know that air is getting in and particles are getting in um it's not to prevent the wearer from getting the virus rather it's to prevent the person who's wearing the mask from spreading it without their knowledge maybe they're asymptomatic or something like that you know you could cough and then the mask prevents that from spreading too far uh that is a good point and it it does make sense that in enclosed places people should be wearing those masks to prevent you know it spreading to vulnerable populations but um we're finding out now, and this is the second myth about asymptomatic spread, uh, NIH has published a study showing that the spread of the virus from people that aren't displaying symptoms is actually much more minimal than a lot of this fear-mongering had initially made it seem. If you remember, they made it seem like, oh, you might have the virus, you don't know it, you know, you can go out in public and then you give it to somebody who's in a vulnerable population and then they'll die and, and that's what you've done and that's why you need to wear a mask and you're being selfish if you don't. But NIH just published a study and uh, this was only one example in the study, so it's hard to draw you know far-reaching conclusions on this. But at the end of the day, what they found in tracking the contacts of an individual that had coronavirus and uh, had reported that she had had contact with uh, about 455 people... They found all those people that she'd had contact with. They tested them, and none of them had coronavirus. And this was a really surprising example for them because they thought, oh, she had asymptomatic coronavirus. She actually started displaying symptoms a little bit later, and they said, oh, of course she's going to spread it to at you know at least ten people, at least some amount of people. Like they were telling us, you know, one person that has it can spread it to fourteen people, and they might not know. Uh, but what they concluded is that all four hundred fifty-five people did not have coronavirus. And their conclusion, again, only in this example, and it's hard to to make um, you know really really lofty. Claims Claims about this, but what they were saying is that the infectivity of some asymptomatic coronavirus carriers might be weak. Saying that it's actually much weaker to get it from somebody that isn't displaying symptoms than they previously thought. So the whole mask thing is just another one of these myths where you know they wear it. Uh, it looks scary. It looks like we're all in the movie Contagion. You drive down the street, and I remember when we saw the Blue Angels uh, driving through Bethesda. People were waving at NIH and uh, at Walter Reed and all these different hospitals there, um, waving and honking and thanking the the medical workers, which is of course the right thing to do. These are heroes that have been putting you know their lives at risk and their families at risk for everybody else. Um, Um, But these masks, you know, everyone's wearing them on the street, it looks scary, it looks dystopian, it looks like we're living in a post-apocalyptic world, but really they're not preventing anyone from getting the disease, unless you have an N95 mask, which we're not supposed to have because those are for the people that actually need them, the doctors and the nurses. So what's going on here? Uh, Of course, the masks are being worn to try to spread fear, um, to, to try to make it seem like this is a disease that you can have and not know it, you can give it to somebody and kill them. Which is true, of course, but it's definitely not as bad as the media is making it sound. So again, this is one of these myths that has to do with the fear that's going on. And the biggest question that we have to face now when it comes to what the problem is and why fear is such a problem is, why is this happening now? And why wasn't it always like this? Why wasn't the the narrative consistent? Why is it always changing? Why are the mass changing? Why is the asymptomatic spread changing? Why are all these things changing every single day with every new headline and every new media cycle? And it all comes down to how this thing has been politicized. I'm not the first person to come out and say that it's been politicized. Um, I might be guilty of that myself and that's a decision you can make, but I'm trying to be as objective here as possible, just looking at the data and and the science behind everything. But when you look at the politicization, it is irrefutable that so many politicians, particularly in the Democratic Party, have been trying to use this to gain, as I said, morality points. But then you look at what was happening in early March, which is the time that now the Democrats say Trump was lazy, he was ignoring it, he was minimizing it, he should have done more. But And I talked about this on the show before, but in early March, you had people like Mike Bloomberg, Nancy Pelosi, Bill de Blasio, all saying, no, it's not a big deal, don't be racist, don't be xenophobic, you got to go ride the metro, you got to go out to your favorite Chinese restaurant and support them because of the racism. They were also minimizing this, saying this is not something big to worry about. Uh, Meanwhile, when a lot of Republicans and a lot of people like Tom Cotton, Tucker Carlson, A lot of prominent talking heads on the right were saying, this is a risk. Uh, We need to stop flights in from China. We need to look into the origins and see what the cover-up is. Are are the World Health Organization and the Chinese government working together to try to minimize this? They were blasted by the media, and I mean absolutely blasted. Um, This was in March also, uh, a New York Times headline. Senator Tom Cotton repeats fringe theory of coronavirus origins trying to make him out to be a conspiracy theorist that was being xenophobic by saying that China you know, lied about its origin. Now, since then, the media has acknowledged that there were certain parts of the cover-up that were true. Similarly, there is no example that makes this changing narrative and the inconsistency of the fear and the fear-mongering that the media is using for attention, there is no example that makes that clearer than the debate surrounding immigration and the Trump administration's actions regarding it uh, as it comes to preventing the spread of the coronavirus. Um, At first, they were saying that it was those xenophobic Republicans that are afraid of the virus. Uh, You know, they want to shut down immigration. They're using this as an excuse. Uh, But then all of a sudden, Democrats say, oh, it's actually those selfish, greedy Republicans that are trying to kill people by not doing anything, by opening the country. But again, this is just remarkably inconsistent, um, and the dem- and the immigration debate is showing this. Uh, when Democrats were blasting Trump for not shutting down things sooner, uh, reversing their position that you should go eat Chinese food and go ride the metro because it's not a big deal, and that the biggest problem here was racism against Asian Americans, Um, They were blasting him for that, and then he goes ahead and tries to stop foreign nationals from coming in and spreading the virus, people we can't track, people that could be sick, people that could have been to all these hotspots around the world when he was doing his uh, temporary freeze on immigration. They also called him racist and xenophobic, saying that that was a crazy thing and he shouldn't be doing that right now. Salon's headline was, The Sinister Logic of Trump's Immigration Freeze. Uh, So again, this is just remarkable inconsistency, trying to maximize fear and trying to politicize everything, saying Trump should have done more. Oh, he went ahead and did more. Oh, but actually that's racist because that's an issue that, you know, takes precedence for us. You know, we want to have open borders and all these sorts of things. So when he goes ahead and does something that just a week ago we were saying he should have done earlier, oh, that's actually a bad thing. Uh, We're also seeing this with Tom Cotton again when it comes to visas for Chinese students to go learn about artificial intelligence and all these different uh, scientific innovations that we're having here this was a conversation they were having before the pandemic saying oh there's been this interesting phenomenon of china somehow getting all this top secret information that we're studying in our graduate programs and in our engineering programs how are they getting this well then the fbi goes ahead and and arrests people professors and and graduate students that were stealing information as agents of the chinese communist party and bringing it back to china so this conversation was already happening but all the more so now when uh, you have people exploiting our visa program learning our medical expertise and then lying to us about the pandemic so when tom cotton and people in the trump administration were saying you know what we need to be more careful about who we're giving visas to and uh, perhaps Chinese nationals that could have ties to the Chinese Communist Party shouldn't be allowed to come to our country to learn about our technological innovations and steal them. Uh, again, he, he they go ahead and they call that racist. They say it's xenophobic, it's, it's ignorant, it's closed-minded, all of these usual words. So it's just remarkable inconsistency and it's all based on fear. The mask thing, the asymptomatic thing, this immigration thing. The narrative has never been standard. And no matter what the administration does, it's by default bad and whatever the Democrats do and they think is a good idea at the time, even if that information changes, that becomes the moral thing, the virtuous thing, the right thing to do. And that's why fear is such a big problem because it's pulling us apart as a country in ways that we never would have expected for this. Um, A lot of people were hopeful. Uh, in, in sort of a, a dark way and maybe a cynical way, but certainly, you know, hope is always good that this pandemic would bring people together. We would be working together as communities to fight it. We would be making responsible decisions using common sense. Uh, but that hasn't been happening. It's been the opposite of common sense, it's been all based on fear and sensationalism. And that is one of our biggest problems that we're facing right now. So then we move on to what is the solution to this? Uh, What's the solution to the pandemic? How do we be responsible in stopping death, in stopping disease, in stopping all the heartbreak that we're seeing? Uh, But also how do we mitigate this fear that we're seeing? How do we make people hopeful again? How do we make people come together and don't engage in this partisan bickering in ways that are ultimately destructive for our country? So the most obvious thing we need to do as it comes to at least stopping the pandemic is protecting vulnerable populations. Uh, We still don't know much about this virus. As I said, with the masks and the asymptomatic carriers, the science is always changing, and that's just the nature of these things because it's a new virus, uh, and it's something we don't know too much about. So we don't know much about it, but what we do know for sure is that it poses its biggest risk to older populations and people that have underlying health problems. Uh, This is not new. This is how the flu works. This is how other colds, even common colds, which are varieties of the coronavirus, actually. This is how these things work. Um, People that are immunocompromised, that are older are disproportionately affected by these that's just how you know the human body works so then we're seeing data coming out of places like new york which is you know the biggest hot spot in the country and responsible for a lot of the death and the devastation that we're seeing uh, the cdc found that 90 percent of people in new york that were hospitalized with coronavirus had pre-existing conditions And that's 90 percent. That's pretty much almost everybody. So, yes, you know, 10 percent of people that had coronavirus, they were healthy people. Uh, They were hospitalized. But most of these people have heart disease, diabetes, lung conditions, um, various diseases that make it worse. So those are the people we need to be focusing on protecting. Um, That's the way to minimize deaths, nursing homes, all these places like that. They need to make the smart decisions to do that. And we do that through common sense. If somebody's sick, if somebody's immunocompromised, um, if somebody has coronavirus, if they've been in contact with it, they shouldn't go out. You know, self-quarantine at home for 14 days. Make sure you're not spreading the virus to people. Everyone should wash their hands more. I've always washed my hands a lot. People say too much, but, you know, now, now people like me are turning out to be uh, smart, at least, in that regard. Uh, don't get too close to people if you think you might have the disease. You know, don't spread it to your family, even if you're in the same house. Be smart about it. Um, also, what we need to be doing is when you have 90% of people being hospitalized or ones with pre-existing conditions and the highest death rates are being people for you know older than 60, older than 70, also people with pre-existing conditions. Uh, we need to focus on protecting them from the virus, but we also need to focus on getting herd immunity for people who are healthy. And that's not a popular uh, thing to say. Uh, people say, oh, you know, everyone needs to stay home because we, got, you, know, you could spread it without knowing. But really what we need to do in order to be able to move past this, especially since we don't know when the vaccine is coming, is to make sure that a large number of healthy individuals that can overcome the virus and might not even show symptoms actually can do so as soon as possible so that we don't have this long, drawn-out process where we keep needing these lockdowns, where we keep needing to shut everything down. Uh, John Nolte from Breitbart, who's very funny and, and always very insightful, went on in a nice twit- uh, Twitter rant the other day, talking about how when the media shamed the college students that were on the beaches in Florida for spring break, that was one of the worst things they did. Because they used virtual s- virtue signaling, they used fear, they used this false sense of morality that the media has been trying to promote, in order to shame young people who could very well easily get the virus, overcome it, have the antibodies, and then create a healthier population to move forward, they shame them into staying home. And Now it's fashionable for people, you know, I I see this all the time from other college students posting on their stories, oh, I can't believe I saw this person, you know, go to the beach the other day. I can't believe they tried to go to a restaurant or they saw their friends, you know, they're killing people, they're doing terrible things. And the answer to that is no, we need young people that can handle it to be immune to this virus so that hospitals are not overburdened, so that we don't have the same problems that people were predicting in the beginning. And this herd immunity thing, again, it's not very popular to talk about, but Pandemics work that way. Uh, Spanish flu, the Hong Kong flu in the 20th century, all these different things people uh society didn't move past it when there was a vaccine or there was a cure they moved past it when the majority of people were immune and were able to return to life as normal without these terrible precautions that's something that we're ignoring right now and you could look up john nolte's rant because he talks about this in greater depth than i do Uh, and it was a really good really good insightful point obviously you know we can't agree with everything that anybody says about this because nobody's truly an expert because as i said we don't know too much about it but it certainly is something to consider Uh, You look at Sweden as an example of this, and Sweden's been criticized for um, not locking down, for trying to reach that herd immunity, people saying it was dangerous, some people in Sweden saying the government made a bad move. But if you look at the data coming out of Sweden and compare it to other places, it's certainly not as bad as the media is making it sound like. So Sweden has, uh, as it comes to the coronavirus, about 40 deaths per 100,000 people. That's the statistic that they're going off of there, Um, and that's very recent and up to date. Of course, that's much higher than the United States. We're at about 25 because of the lockdowns. It's higher than a lot of places that were really strict in the lockdowns. But when you compare Sweden to places like Spain, to places like Italy, to places that really had um, really strict and devastating lockdowns from almost the very beginning, it's fewer deaths. Uh, Italy is about 55 per 100,000. Spain is around the same number. So as it comes to lockdown or no lockdown, Sweden has not been worse than some of the places that locked down the harshest. And they're well on their way to having herd immunity so that they can proceed as normal even if there's no vaccine just yet and that's something that you know we in this country have not been doing we were focused on flattening the curve, we were focused on all these sorts of things and, and prolonging the problem, which at first seemed like a good idea, but now we're seeing these these devastating consequences from it, and that's what I'll get into soon. Um, the last point again on, on what we could do, what's the solution, and uh, this actually goes back to what we've already done, is making sure that hospitals are not overburdened. Again, I'll remind you, this was the biggest talking point at the beginning, saying the lockdowns are not to prevent the virus from spreading and not to prevent people from getting sick, but it's to prevent it from happening too quickly so that hospitals cannot properly treat the people that need treatment. That is a good point. That is something that had bipartisan support at the beginning. That's what the president was saying. That's what Democrats were saying. That's what everybody was getting behind. And they told us 14 days to stop the spread. That's what they said in April. Uh, Then it became 30 days to stop the spread and flatten the curve. Uh, And now it's indefinite, according to some people. They say, oh, we can't really open, you know, life won't go back to normal, is what Gavin Newsom said in California. People like Cuomo in New York saying these things need to go on. Uh, Mark Elrich, our county executive in Montgomery County, Maryland here, not allowing the county to open up as normal, even though the rest of the state has. The goalposts keep moving. This is something that Senator Tim Scott pointed out, something that a lot of people have pointed out, and it doesn't really make that much sense because, again, the common sense thing to do is to make sure hospitals are not overburdened, which, if you don't already know, and I would forgive you for not already knowing because the media hasn't been focused on this because of the fear and because of the sensationalism, uh, we already did this. Hospitals are not overburdened, and, in fact, they're doing infinitely better than anyone expected in the first place, even with the lockdowns. This is uh, reporting from The Federalist. Uh, They point out that Cuomo uh, was upset when the Trump administration wasn't acquiescing to his request for thousands, hundreds of thousands more ventilators and hospital beds in New York. Uh, And what Cuomo actually said, he challenged the Trump administration, said they were being ignorant, they were minimizing the problem, they were not giving the states what they needed. And he said, if we don't have 30,000 ventilators in this state, 26,000 people are going to die. And then he said to Trump, and this is a quote from Cuomo, you can pick the 26,000 people who are going to die totally bombastic rhetoric totally based in fear totally sensationalist. saying basically if you don't give us what i say we need a bunch of people are going to die and the blood will be on your hands he said the number of ventilators we need is astronomical uh bill de blasio joined in again politico and all these different media outlets were were coming out here and saying you know trump is ignorant trump needs to listen to these people i can't believe he wouldn't do this i can't believe he would question that new york needs thirty thousand ventilators uh but then We go ahead and see that when New York peaked, and this was around April 6th, and you can look up the CDC and NIH data on this, only 6,000 ventilators in New York were ever in use. They only needed 6,000. Now it's fewer than that. At at its worst day, at the peak, 6,000 ventilators in use. So again, I'm no mathematician, I'm no scientist, I'm no doctor, but that's a lot less than 30,000. And I'm not saying it's not good to be overprepared for these sorts of things, because of course it is, and that's how society functions. We need to prepare for pandemics, and we need to prepare for hardship in order to make sure that we undercut it. But to then go out and say, you know, Donald Trump, you pick the 26,000 people who are going to die. And then actually, it turns out that you didn't need 30,000 ventilators, you needed 6,000, which you already had. It just shows the, the disingenuous nature of this. And I, I don't know what Cuomo's motivations are. I don't know if he's lying on purpose. I don't know if he's trying to make people afraid on purpose. Maybe he just legitimately 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 thought they needed 30,000. But at the end of the day, what this proves is that the science is always changing, the predictions are always changing, and we can't be making these conclusions and we can't be smearing half the country of being hateful people that want to murder 26,000 Uh, if it's not going to end up being the case and if you don't know for sure. Uh, It was the same thing with hospital beds. They said they needed 140,000. They were criticizing the administration for not providing enough. And again, April 8th on the peak day, and it's declined rapidly since then, they only needed uh, 23,000 beds at most. So 100,000 hospital beds, more than that, that are just completely irrelevant. Thousands of ventilators, completely irrelevant. And these were the same people that were blaming the president and saying that there was blood on his hands for not wanting to provide those up front, saying it might not be entirely necessary. Uh, But what this has proved is that the flattening the curve worked. We did that. Hospitals were not overburdened. Uh, Maybe there were a few days where people were in the hallways and all these terrible images that we saw, but it certainly was not the drastic situation that we were told at the beginning, and that was because of the responsibility of the American people and local authorities in mitigating that problem. Uh, Just another bit of data that proves this, if you don't believe me, based on New York City alone, uh, at Vanderbilt, you know, where I go to school, of course, uh, and this is according to the Tennessean, researchers estimated that the outbreak in Tennessee plateaued, and the level of hospitalizations would only be about 300 would not go over that the initial prediction from Vanderbilt researchers for the hospitalizations in Tennessee uh, was thousands of hospitalizations and they said um, you know they they needed the beds and the resources it was all the same rhetoric of the president's not doing enough but it's only 300 instead of a thousand and this is good news I'm not saying this is bad in any way it's fantastic news it just shows that these things have worked in flattening the curve. Uh, but again, whether or not this means we need to keep doing it, that's a different question. We'll get to that in a second. I just want to say that researchers, when they revised the data, they said that this was a result of social distancing that lowered the transmission rate. Uh, It worked faster than they predicted, even in their most optimistic scenarios. Uh, By staying at home to starve the virus, Tennesseans made a month of progress in less than a week, halting the outbreak before it could grow. This was exactly the point of the lockdowns. This was exactly the point of 14 to 30 days to stop the spread, depending on who you're asking. And this is what we already did. So I do not see why we need to continue, like Mark Elrich is saying, like Cuomo is saying, like Gavin Newsom is saying, in ways that might end up actually being worse than the initial problem we tried to overcome. And this brings us to our next category, which is what is not the solution to this. With all the information we just heard about how the curve has been flattened, how hospitals were not overburdened, how there are ways to responsibly make sure that we're reaching herd immunity in the healthy population who can handle the virus while still protecting the vulnerable populations that have higher death rates we have to say, you know, what is not the solution? Because I think a lot of what we've been what we've been seeing now is much more devastating in the long term than anything we could have expected at first. So first and foremost, what is not the solution is making it illegal to go to work. Uh, that sounds like a ridiculous statement, but essentially, um, no pun intended, in places across the country, it is illegal to go and make money and do your job if you are not the few people that the government has decided are essential workers. Uh, You look at the unemployment numbers, millions of people unemployed, percentages going up, ways that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. It's one of the biggest problems here, and that's something that will stick around as an issue in the long term. Uh, This is from The Hill. They say that our governmental COVID-19 mitigation policy of broad societal lockdown focuses on containing the spread of disease at all costs. Instead of flattening the curve and preventing hospital overcrowding, so that goes back to what I was just saying now, where you know when when it was flattening the curve and preventing the hospitals from being overburdened, which we did. Now it's containing the spread of the disease. People saying anyone else who gets this disease, the blood's on Trump's hands. The sort of fear mongering that we've been talking about. Uh, The Hill again. They say although well intentioned, the lockdown was imposed without consideration of its consequences beyond those directly from the pandemic. The policies have created the greatest global economic disruption in history with trillions of dollars of lost economic output. These financial losses have been falsely portrayed as purely economic. So this is again what I'm saying before about the false dichotomy how it's either the economy or health, but they're saying it's actually not only, you know, either or it can be both. The Hill says, to the contrary, using numerous National Institute of Health Public Access publications, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and Bureau of Labor Statistics data, and various actuarial tables, we calculate these policies will cause devastating non-economic consequences that will total millions of accumulated years of life lost in the United States for beyond what the virus itself has caused. This goes back to what the president was saying, we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem. And that's exactly what's happening right now people losing their jobs, people losing their livelihoods, people unable to pay for food, for education, in ways that will affect their lives and actually will accumulate into years of life lost in this country and around the world in ways that flattening the curve purely wouldn't have done. Uh, you know, If we'd flattened the curve and you know April 8th, back when New York hit its peak and then went down after that, if things had opened up again, uh, I don't think we'd be seeing these bad problems that they're talking about here in the Hill. And again, if you don't believe me and if you don't believe their editorial board, you can look at the UN World Food Program. Again, this is not a uh, partisan organization by any means. Um, If anything, the United Nations, with all their studies, they always uh, skew left with what they're putting out. But the executive director of the UN World Food Program, whose name is David Beasley, he said, uh, while the World Health Organization warns that stringent guidelines need to stay in place to combat the spread of COVID-19, Uh, The World Food Program believes that it will lead to an uptick in global poverty and starvation, and the response to the virus itself may end up killing more people by the end of 2020. Um, when, you know, directly quoted, uh, David Beasley, the director of the world food program, he said that the, uh, risk of famine in the developing world is now of quote, biblical proportions. Um, and this is, uh, you know, as a result of what he said was while dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, we were also on the brink of a hunger pandemic. There is a real danger that more people could potentially die from the economic impact of COVID-19 than from the virus itself. Uh, this is what people were saying for the longest time. You know, again, like I said before, can't let the cure be worse than the problem itself. Uh, And in many ways, it's turning out to be as such. We didn't overburden the hospitals, um, but because of the fear-mongering and because of all these lies and this politicization, we're in a situation now where if you say, you know what, we need to start opening the economy, we need to use common sense, of course, but we need to start opening things up and letting people work and not making it illegal to go to work, they say you're actually murdering people. But that's just the media narrative. The UN and the CDC are not agreeing with that because it isn't true. And they're saying that these uh, sustained lockdowns could kill more people than the initial virus itself. Not a controversial statement, although it is now. It shouldn't be uh, because it's a devastating consequence that we've had to deal with. And we have brought this upon ourselves by allowing these politicians to issue these executive orders and do these perpetual lockdowns because of the fear mongering that we've been hearing from the media and from other people in the political world. Uh, This has very real-world consequences. These are not just economic trends and they're making predictions. Uh, You can just look in your town, go to Main Street, look at the restaurants around. Places are not opening up. In in ways that people expected them to, you know. Yes, if you can close for two weeks, you're going to lose some revenue. You might have to furlough some people. But once we flatten the curve, you can go back to work and things will generally be fine. But because of these prolonged uh, lockdowns and everything that we're seeing and all the fear, it isn't working like that. There is a coffee shop in Annapolis. It was a very popular place. Um, and it's in the old part of Annapolis, a really quaint part of town. The place was called Ah Coffee. I've never been there. I I did some work nearby there. Um, But I have a lot of friends that work in Annapolis that would always go and and do their um, work, you know, after and and go have coffee there in the mornings or after work. Uh, And they announced yesterday that they're closing indefinitely. They're not going to be able to reopen because they've lost so much money and they have no way to pay their employees, and, and the cash flow just isn't there. I'm sure people listening to this uh, know people that lost their jobs, that lost their livelihoods, their savings are are harmed by this, and no amount of help from the government, uh, which is really just giving you back tax money that they took from you in the first place, is going to help that in the long term you may have even lost your own job Um, and if that's the case you know my heart goes out to you and and your family um, and, and I really just hope that together we can all get through this but this is certainly one of those things that because they've prolonged the lockdowns due to fear due to false science due to media and political talking points way past the just mere flattening the curve that we were promised at the beginning these are the devastating consequences that we've been seeing And this is not only an economic problem, as I said, this has to do with people's lives. Um, According to staff at a California hospital, one of the biggest ones there, uh, the costs of the government response have been severe. Uh, They said new evidence suggests that it could be even worse than they initially imagined. Um, They were interviewing doctors and nurses there, and they found that there have been more deaths by suicide during the pandemic because of the lockdowns, because of the economic devastation, because of its effect on the social fabric. Than what we've seen in a very long time. Uh, Dr. Michael Dubois said uh, the numbers are unprecedented when it comes to the spike in suicides. Um, He added that we've never seen numbers like this in such a short period of time. He said that they've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. Uh, This is not just because people are more sad now for some reason, this is a direct consequence of the jobs lost, of the severe impact on the social fabric that we've seen from these irresponsible, fear-mongering, the media, the politicians that have tried to extend these lockdowns. Casey Hansen, who's a trauma nurse that has worked at the hospital for 33 years, she said she has never in 33 years witnessed the self-afflicted attacks on such a scale. She said, quote, what I have seen recently, I have never seen before, I have never seen so much intentional injury. Uh, this is a huge problem, and it's not only self-harm, it's also harm to family members and um, people in marriages and domestic violence. The New York Times, who are responsible for a lot of this fear-mongering, uh, they did point out that the confinement has led to what they call another spiraling crisis. Doctors and advocates for victims are seeking signs, seeing signs of an increase in domestic violence at home, hearing accounts of people lashing out, particularly at women and children. Kim Fox, who's a prosecutor in Chicago, said the problem is that no one can leave. Uh, You're literally mandating that people who probably should not be together in the same space have to stay there. And again, if this was 14 days to stop the spread, of course, it's unfortunate if domestic violence occurs at any point in time. uh, and, And it's a real problem and it's something that, you know, society should overcome and should mitigate. But... Uh, once they stopped with this 14 days, this 30 days, and started moving the goalposts and saying it has to be indefinite, that's when we've been seeing a lot of these problems. And this is a direct consequence of these irresponsible, fear-mongering lockdowns. You also see increases in drug overdoses. Um, you also see, and this is a big thing, that uh, health hazards from preventable conditions that people have not been able to go get uh, because they're classified as elective surgery or non-essential, whether that's mammograms or cancer screening or, or different, you know, bypass surgeries, things that people need for their health, but they haven't been allowed to because the hospitals didn't want to be overburdened. And at first that may have been a good idea, but certainly past the you know April 8th date in places like New York where it wasn't needed anymore, it's uh, patently irresponsible. Uh, This is from Forbes, reporting on uh, 600 uh, physicians in the United States who wrote a letter to the president, and uh, they were talking about their analysis of the lockdowns. Uh, These are 600 physicians. They said that the coronavirus shutdowns are a, quote, mass casualty incident. It will have exponentially growing negative health consequences for million of non-coronavirus patients. And they said the downstream health effects are being massively underestimated, underreported. This is an order of magnitude error. Uh, This was from Dr. Simone Gold, uh, an emergency medicine specialist in L.A. Um, She pointed out that suicide hotline phone calls have increased 600%, as we were just talking about. Uh, and, but she also added that 150,000 Americans per month who would have had cancer screening um, have now had their cancer progress to a point where it could threaten their lives. Uh, these are more people than have died from the coronavirus, by the way. So from missed cancer diagnoses to untreated heart attacks and strokes to increased risks of suicides, the doctors say they are alarmed at what appears to be a lack of consideration for the future health of our patients. So again, this is not a dichotomy between the economy and between health. This is not between those racist, xenophobic, greedy Republicans that just want to make make money versus the, you know, benevolent experts, Democrats that just want to trust science um, and, and make the right choices to save lives because these perpetual lockdowns are contributing to a lot more death than we would have seen if we stuck to the initial flatten the curve uh, goal that we had. Again, also we're seeing that everything is being politicized, it's ruining the social fabric of our country, it's taking people farther apart, it's uh, uh, widening the gap between the two sides of of our political dialogue here. Something as simple as the medicine that the president is taking has become an issue of politics. People on Twitter are saying the president is murdering people because someone drank fish tank cleaner because they misunderstood what the president was saying. There was that whole bleach thing saying, oh, the president's going to kill people because everyone's going to be injecting bleach now because he told them to, which of of course is not even what happened in the first place so this is also a long-term uh bad thing to happen to our country this virtue signaling also it has to end it's something that the celebrities and the media have really pushed these are all people that are fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to stay home for months at a time and not have to worry about where their money's coming from and now you have situations where in these states people are going online to report their neighbors for violating lockdowns uh people on walks yelling at other people that aren't even wearing masks Um, even when the masks aren't necessary to wear when you're socially distancing in public. Uh, I know people that were on bike rides that weren't wearing a mask because you don't have to. The CDC doesn't even say that's a good idea. Uh, In fact, it's almost a better idea to get fresh air and strengthen your immune system being yelled at and accosted by other people that are out that are wearing masks saying you have to wear your mask. Um, People don't understand the science behind it. I hardly understand the science behind it, but all it takes is a little bit of research to know that things are not so bad as the media is making it seem. Uh, But this virtue signaling is creating a situation where communities are being torn apart in ways that we didn't expect. We thought people would come together. You even notice it now. You go to the grocery store, people don't smile, they all look down, no one makes eye contact. I was joking um, the other day, like, this virus doesn't spread through eye contact, you can still wave to somebody, but no, you know, you get too close and people try to shrug you off. Um, I've always said if they're so worried about getting it, just don't go out. You know, Use Instacart or something like that. But this is the virtue signaling that the media and the politicization has led to. And again, this all comes back to fear. People are afraid. People have been told that they're going to die if they don't do this the right way, um, that blood will be on their hands. You you can pick the 26,000 who are going to die. Things are not so bad, and there are responsible ways to move forward, but fear has been dictating the conversation, has been dictating the narrative. So with all of this information, we see it's not so bad as people think. The science is always changing. There's no way to be sure. But of course, there's a responsible way to move forward that doesn't involve these devastating consequences for health, for suicide, for domestic violence, for cancer screening, for everything else that we're seeing and for the economies of third world countries and also our own. Uh, We know that there's a responsible way to move forward. But why is that not happening? And that's the big question that we have going here. And that will take us into our um you know, where do we go from here uh, idea. But it's, you know, why is this happening and why are these politicians still maintaining the fear narrative? And I think a lot of it has to do with government control over the private sector and over the lives. And I don't want to sound like a tin foil hat wearing person who's broadcasting in the basement. I'm actually not in the basement today when I'm doing this, so I don't have to be legitimately accused of doing that. I don't want to be sounding about somebody like, oh, the government is trying to take our rights. They're using this to, to try to control us. I don't think that's true in all cases. I think people do have good intentions sometimes. But certainly it is a true reality of the human existence that people don't like giving power back once it's given to them. So maybe for a two-week period, these governors have emergency powers to try to shut down private businesses in order to stop the spread. There are laws on the book that sort of allow that if it really needs to happen. But past that, it's really just an overreach, and it's people taking power that they've been given and trying to manipulate the public into letting them keep it up. And this is, again, not a conspiracy theory. You just have to listen to the words of these governors to see what they're trying to do. Gavin Newsom saying there's no going back to normal. I don't see why that needs to be the case because, you know, the curve has been flattened and the risk is mitigated and there are responsible ways to do it. But no, he's saying, you know, you have to give me the authority. We're not going back to normal. The governor of New Jersey, Governor Murphy, he said the bill of rights is above my pay grade when asked about taking away people's rights in order to to stop the spread. He said, that's not my concern. I'm just trying to, you know, use my power to keep people healthy. Which again, doesn't make any sense. The Bill of Rights is not above anyone's pay grade. That is the law of the land and that's what these people need to be respecting, but they're not doing that, especially past the two weeks uh, from which they maybe absolutely needed to. Then you look at New York and some of the restrictions that are still going around. Governor Cuomo saying, uh, you can go to the beach but if anyone tries to go in the water, they will be taken right out of the water by police. People will be, you know, issued citations for doing certain things on the beaches, um, you know, and in lakes and in campgrounds, things that can involve social distancing Uh, again I'm no scientist but I don't think coronavirus is transmitted through ocean water Uh, there's actually a lot of research going out saying if you get sunlight and fresh air and exercise that could help your immune system and keep you healthier and prevent the spread of the disease because you know people won't be getting as sick and they're not just sitting at home in their dark rooms as much but he's saying I'm going to use my authority to use the police to take people out of the water for swimming because for some reason we can't be doing that right now and this is in a place like New York where the hospital beds and the ventilators that they needed were significant less than he was saying at the beginning so this is all based on power it's all based on fear and it's these governors you know I I guess they had these uh, sort of totalitarian fantasies in the first place and you know to be honest I'm sure anybody that wants to run for governor views themselves as some sort of figure that they think should have more authority than any human being should have and they're not giving up the control that we voluntarily gave them for the 14 days that it took to flatten the curve Um, they also realize that they can score points in the morality sector if they pretend that Republicans and Trump are killing people. Uh, This is not only a Democratic issue. Uh, You look at the Never Trump Republicans and the Lincoln Project, which is uh, Kellyanne Conway's husband's new Never Trump ad push. They had an ad out saying uh, 90,000 deaths were caused by Donald Trump as if that makes any sense, as if Trump created the virus, if, if, if he forced people to have it. Uh, but this is, again, the, the narrative that's going on. It's based in fear, and they know that they can get these points, these virtue signaling points, if they pretend that the other side is murdering people, because everyone's against murder, and they want to use that to their advantage. So I think there's an element of, of what's going on there. Also, it is irrefutable to say that this is about the election this year. Uh, whether it's the mail-in voting or whether it's just some of the rhetoric that we've seen. There are things that people are doing to try to make the election less favorable to President Trump. The media is doing it. The politicians are doing it. Uh, And something that I saw that was really shocking, uh, Democratic pollsters and strategists are actually, and they're honest about this, they say they're worried about the economy getting better. They say they want things to stay bad. They want these lockdowns to stay in place and people not to be able to work so that they can work for Democrats who pro- promise them benefits and health care and all these sorts of things. They're actually worried about the economy getting better. Uh, this was in early April. A man named Jason Furman, who was an economist for the Obama administration and now teaches at Harvard, of course, uh, he was on a Zoom conference to a bipartisan group of officials from both parties talking about the economic um uh uh, consequences of the shutdown this was right after the economy had been shut down when unemployment was going up at first and uh, people were talking about you know depression levels of unemployment which is in some ways what we're seeing um he was talking about whether or not this quote economic carnage seemed likely to doom president donald trump's chances at re-election he was giving the opening presentation at this conference uh he was looking at everybody and it said that he made a startling claim which was we were about to see the best economic data that we've seen in the history of this country Uh, People were all confused. They didn't know what was going on. Um, You know, they asked him about it after the fact. He said, everyone looked puzzled and thought that I had misspoken, Um, but he laid out a case for why the months preceding the election in this November could give Trump the chance to brag, and it says brag truthfully, about the most explosive monthly employment numbers and GDP growth ever. Uh, He's been making the case to anybody uh, that's listening to other political strategists, former Obama administration officials, and it's to the extent that uh, this article says people in Washington are starting to panic. Uh, Another former Obama official who is close to the former president and has been working with the Biden campaign says, this is my big worry uh my worry is and he said high 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 five times that his worry is that the economy will get better before the election and trump will be able to point out that the economy as it had been before this lockdown started has been drastically improving under his leadership uh this has to do with the election they want to prolong the pain they want to prolong the damage that they can say look at us where the solutions were not like the incumbent who ruined everything he killed people and he ruined the economy um This is a horrifying reality that we're seeing. And the fact that former Obama administration officials are expressing this fantasy that the economy will stay bad, uh, which means that they're expressing the fantasy that everything that I was talking about before, whether it's suicides or cancer screening or starvation or unemployment, uh, they want those things to continue. The fact that they're doing that is this terrible, devastating thing that will, as the CDC, as NIH, as the UN has said, probably kill more people than the virus ever could of itself. Uh, The fact that they want that to happen just because they want to win the election and have Biden elected instead of Trump, who's been the president now during this whole crisis. Uh, it's really horrifying. And this has shown the level of polarization, of partisanship, of all of these different uh, problems that we've been seeing in the country and, and how they, they've been exacerbated by the current issue that we have. Um, the last thing on this is, has to do with this mail-in voting. Uh, I get that people who are sick, who are immunocompromised, who are elderly, it's probably smarter for them to stay home and vote by mail. Of course, uh, that's true anyway. People that are too sick to go to, to polls can vote by mail, uh, in most states at least. But with this national mail-in voting, and the president's been getting a lot of criticism for saying that it's corrupt and for saying that it's voter fraud, uh, and that it's something that the Democrats are trying to do to you know, be able to steal some of these elections. Uh, if you think about it logically, it doesn't make sense why we would need to have national mail-in voting, and what the president's saying does make a lot of sense. Um, you know, Even though vulnerable people shouldn't go to the polls, uh, how come I can go right now to Walmart up the county and be in a room with 900 people who yes we're wearing masks and yes we're socially distancing but we're all touching the same products we're all in the same enclosed place how come i can do that with 900 people but i can't go to the local middle school where we can stand in a line outside with social distancing and wear masks and vote uh it doesn't make sense that you can do one thing or another this has to do again also with the houses of worship um You know, this is something that we've been seeing a lot in the media where, oh, you can't go to church. You know, maybe your congregation is only 30 people and there's ways to do it uh, with social distancing. But you can go to Whole Foods with 500 people and stand in line and touch all the same products. It doesn't make sense. If they were being consistent, it would make more sense. But again, this is all based in fear. So I think the mail-in voting has a lot to do with this. This is a desired outcome for uh, a lot of these urban centers and a lot of Democratic places where they know that they can, you know, engage in the shenanigans that we've always been saying that they've been engaging in. And they want to use this as an opportunity to do it. So when it comes to this economic data, when it comes to the mail-in voting and this general culture of fear that we have, uh, I think, and it's, it's an unfortunate thing to say, and again, I don't know everyone's intentions, but I think that's a huge element of it. And this is something that we're going to hope to overcome if we want to move forward as a society, uh, be smart, be responsible, save lives, prevent things from getting too bad again. Uh, it, it's being threatened by these people that just want to prolong the pain for as long as possible for their own political gain. Um, the last thing I want to talk about here, uh, and this is the fourth category, which is, you know, where do we go? What do we do now? Um, I don't know the solution to this. Uh, I've said it a million times this show. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I don't know all the data. I don't know the right choice. Uh, but also nobody knows the right choice. And when it, whether it's the mass, whether it's the asymptomatic spread, whether it's the immigration shutdown, whether it's you know going to Chinatown in early March to eat Chinese food, to not be racist and all these sorts of things, nobody has ever known the right move. The president hasn't known the right move. Dr. Fauci hasn't known the right move. Dr. Birx hasn't known the right move. Nobody has stayed consistent throughout this whole thing because the information keeps changing but there are a few things that I think I have illuminated and I hope I illuminated and you feel free to reach out with questions and to have this conversation if you know more data that I haven't talked about or if I was wrong about something but I think there are things that we can do as we've seen from you know the the session that we just had that are responsible ways to move forward and to mitigate the damages and to not let the people who have the worst intentions here continue their culture of fear What we could do and what we should do is open the economy and let people who can go to work let people make money, Uh, avoid all the problems that we've been seeing with these perpetual shutdowns. Do like what Georgia is doing. Do like what Florida is doing, where there are limited ways to allow people to maximize their freedom and to maximize their financial gain and to minimize their loss and also minimize the risk to vulnerable populations. The media blasted Florida, the media blasted Georgia. They said it was stupid. They said it was short-sighted. They said it was greedy. Meanwhile, uh, you have the mayor of Atlanta coming out and saying that, you know, she's surprised that it actually worked out so well, what was going on there. Um, you know, This is from the mayor of Atlanta, all these certain things. So there are ways to responsibly open the economy and let people go back to work. Uh, what we also need to do is keep up the education, keep the transparency going, uh, let the numbers come out, let the science come out. Educate people on how to prevent another outbreak that could be worse. Uh, a lot of people are saying that. I think a lot of it also is based in fear. Uh, and if we had done the herd immunity things, wouldn't it be as much of a problem. But we're past that point, unfortunately, because of the, the sensationalism that's happened. So we need to start educating people on what to do. Um, you know, don't go visit your grandmother if she has a lung condition like mine does. And uh, you know, risk spreading it to her. Don't do that. That's you know, irresponsible. But if you're healthy, if you have no underlying health conditions, and you're 25 years old, uh, you can go to work. And then maybe wear a mask if you're going to a meeting with older executives. Um, you know, wash your hands frequently. Use hand sanitizer. We need to have this education. We need to have this dialogue because that's the way that we will responsibly reopen. But it's certainly not keeping up what we're doing now. And the last thing we need to do is to empower American citizens to make their own decisions. Uh, We need to take that power away from unelected bureaucrats, the so-called experts who have perpetually been wrong and have perpetually engaged in the fear-mongering rhetoric that has created a lot of bad consequences uh, that are in many ways worse than the initial problem itself. We need to empower people to make their own decisions because at the end of the day, this is the whole fundamental philosophy of the American experiment, is that the average citizen knows more about how best to live their lives than the people that are elected or appointed to tell them what to do. Uh, The experts don't know everything, the experts keep being wrong, and if we let the experts have their way, the pain and devastation that we have been seeing is going to keep continuing. Uh, it has to do with the election. It has to do with everything else. But ultimately, we have to let people make their own decisions. If you are healthy enough, if you are safe enough to go to work, to do what you need to do, to not starve, to be able to pay for education for your children, to be able to have the quality of life that you need, to not make a suicide attempt... Um, to not have a situation where domestic violence is happening that could be prevented. If you can do all of those things, uh, if you have the ability and the means to do so, you should not be forced to be unemployed. But that's not what the government's deciding to do, but that is what we need to do. We need to empower people to make their own decisions because ultimately, they will make the right decisions for themselves. They will do the responsible thing. The American people have shown incredible resolve in combating this crisis. Uh, That's why the curve was flattened in early April. I have no idea why. These things have persisted, especially uh, contrary to the advice of medical professionals. Uh, again, we can only surmise that it has to do with the election and it has to do with fear and power. But this is something that we need to move past. This is something that we need to put behind us. We need to learn lessons from it so that, God forbid, this happens in the future in many different ways. We don't repeat the same mistakes and we focus on doing what works. So that is the conclusion that I want to be able to leave everybody with. Um, you know, Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with me here. Uh, just a quick recap. We talked about what the main problem is with this pandemic and that it is uh, both the virus itself and the fear and the sensationalism that the media and a lot of politicians have been using. We talked about the solution, how it's protecting the vulnerable, using common sense, trying to get some form of herd immunity for healthy people so that we can move forward even if there's no vaccine. Uh, it's also flattening the curve. Uh, then we talked about what's not the solution, which is uh, you know prolonging the lockdowns past the curve flattening that we've already seen, uh, making people be unemployed, making it illegal to go to work, to go to houses of worship, um, and and just kind of promulgating some of these terrible economic uh, consequences that we've been seeing and then the last thing we talked about is where do we go from here which is how to uh, you know empower people how to give control back how to not allow these politicians that are trying to politicize this crisis for their own gain to be able to do so and to reach their goals and uh, to ultimately have a safer healthier and more prosperous country the one that we had before this pandemic and uh, an even better one than we've had at any point in history so thank you all for being with me um you know this was really interesting this was a lot of fun for me to do and uh, for a lot of me to research um I, again my heart goes out if you're suffering from this in any way whether it's health wise economically or some combination thereof uh, I hope and I pray that you know this is something that we will be able to move past as a country. And um, I'm hopeful that you know, one day in the future, uh, we'll be able to say that this was just a dark part of our history and uh, we've learned our lessons and we've overcome it. So thank you all for being with me. Uh, of course, I always welcome feedback and, and topics and things and questions and comments and concerns. Uh, I always like that from the audience. So thank you for being here and uh, be safe, be healthy. God bless. Thank you very much.